Today's passage comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here's the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord. Hope everybody is well. That is good. Amen. All right. Good. Yesterday we had our first night of worship here at New Mercy. It was amazing. I just want to thank everyone who came out and also um, our pastor, intern Christine, with her team, uh, led us into a, just an amazing time of, of worship. We call it night of worship. It was our first one uh, ever here at New Mercy. And uh, I, man, I was like personally really blessed, and I, I wish hopefully we could do have more of these um, in the upcoming year. Uh, Christmas season, Christmas season. Uh, I was looking at the calendar. It's like not next Sunday, but the Sunday of two Sundays. We have Christmas. Uh, my personally, my favorite time of the year. Uh, I don't know about you, but at least in our home now, like our kids are older, so we do we have children here? Please cover their ears. I want to talk about Santa. You know, our kids are older, so the whole, like, Santa craziness, I mean, it's all past, so thank God. Before, uh, there were seasons where we were, like, wrapped, you know, hiding gifts, and honey, don't hide it there. Uh, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you want advice, places to hide, okay? For me, what works best, children, was actually trunk of my car. I would stick everything in the trunk of my car, anyway. That whole season is done for us. So now uh, in the U household, uh, we have four kids. Uh, uh, we started a little tradition last year of uh, picking names. So it's like a secret Santa. So everybody pick one person's name. And, and you're like, yeah, don't tell anybody. And we go to Target or something together and spread out. Then let's meet, but make sure no one sees what it is. Then we, we do this whole thing. It was terrible last year. But um, this year, hopefully, uh, uh, another year older, so it will work out. The best thing about this is um, they have to spend their own money. Okay, praise the Lord. So, so it's, it's awesome. So it's working. But once again, we just want to uh, extend a warm, uh, really blessing uh, to, to you and your, your homes. Uh, this Advent season, may the Lord just richly, richly really bless you, work through you, work in and through you. So uh, with that, can we pray? Let's just pray one more time. Let's really invite the Lord to uh, speak to us today. Father, we, Father, we acknowledge you. First and foremost, today, Lord, we know that Christmas season is really not about 
all the, the lights and the gifts and all the craziness, but uh, really may we remember Christ. Right? And we are, uh, we are your people, Father, and may we represent you well during this season. So, Lord, we, we ask for just a warmth uh, to come upon our community uh, by the grace of the gospel of you. Uh, we know that even here, there are families, there are, there are challenges, difficulties, uh, people going through really just uh, really challenging situations. So we pray over our community as a whole, God. Uh, show mercy, show, show cover, care here, Lord, and speak and work through us. Especially today, open our hearts wide, Father, that we will uh, hunger after your word, your truth, that you'll give us rest, Father, that you'll give us uh, a place where we can uh, really encounter you and to, and to love you. We thank you for this day and all things in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We are in an Advent Christmas sermon series. Uh, Pastor Key launched us last week talking about the incarnation. Uh, today I'm going to take the book of Mark. Book of Mark. I want to talk about Christmas through the book of Mark. Okay? My favorite book of the, out of the Gospels, you know, there are four Gospels and um, book of Mark is a very interesting book. Uh, it's the shortest of the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters. It's very quick. I don't know if you ever read through it like in one sitting, but it's like immediately Jesus did it. Immediately the demon went out. Like very fast-paced gospel. So if you want a whole quick picture of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Mark is the place to go. Not only that, I love the book of Mark because everyone... Historians, academic, you know, scholars agree that Mark was the first uh, gospel that was written. Okay? So uh, first gospel that was penned was the, the gospel of Mark. And some people actually think that the other gospels, Luke, Mark, Matthew, and John, uh, borrowed or used Mark as a base to also get some ideas and, and writings. We're not going to get into details. But uh, Mark is a foundational earliest, shortest, earliest gospel that we have, which means uh, whatever Mark is writing, whatever is in the book of gospel of Mark, it must be significant, no? It's the shortest, so he had to cut a lot of the, uh, stuff out, or he really put in what he thought was significant and important, right, in the gospel of Mark. And it was the earliest, so it was one of the first ones that was written. So I think there's significance in that too. So if we kind of take that background knowledge or, or keep that and try to go to Mark's Christmas, how does Mark, the book of Mark, the writer Mark, the gospel of Mark, portray Christmas and portray the advent, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know what your Christmas depictions are, uh, what uh, Christmas stories or narratives that, that you, your favorite is or comes to mind. Um, I don't know, following the, the star, um, three wise men, uh, Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt or Herod, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, it's not in the book of Mark. Okay? What Christmas story book of Mark present, presents Advent, if any, is what we read today. What we read today. Okay? Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. 
the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight path for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Other translation says it's desert. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And on and on and on. If you go to, we read up to verse 8 today. If you go to verse 9, maybe there, look at your Bibles. Nothing. No shepherds. No star. No wise men. Nothing. Very interesting, right? What do we see? What do we see in the book of Mark? What's Mark's Christmas, Mark's Advent? Uh, we see a person in the desert. A weird-looking guy. Um, yelling. I don't know. At least I'm thinking he's yelling. Prepare the way. And Scripture says that he was wearing this animal fur, camel, and eating locusts, eating, eating insect and honey. Eccentric, odd kind of thing. It's Christmas through the eyes of Mark. Right? Very interesting. What's more interesting is, if we go a little bit further, acknowledging that the gospel of Mark is the first gospel, right? So first time ever where someone's penning the, the whole story of Jesus, the gospel story. Before Mark, what was before Mark? I mean, there was nothing, right? There's nothing for about how long? The intertestament period. So the last prophet in Old Testament is, I tried this in edge order and everybody got it. Just kidding. Don't last prophet in Old Testament, Malachi, right? Malachi, it's not Malachi, it's Malachi. The last prophet, Malachi, the last one written. From Malachi to today's Mark, remember first gospel, 400 years. Intertestamental period, 400 years of, for whatever reason, quietness, silence. And actually, if you study this time period uh, historically, it was pretty tough, pretty challenging time for the Jews. No revelation, no prophets, nothing, no real seemingly significant move of God. And they're lost, they're confused, they're jaded. They still have form of religion. They would still went, you know, went, went to worship and stuff, temple. Uh, but real no power, no encounter, no life. It was just religiosity for 400 years. And people were desperate. They were dying. They were hungry. Uh, and during this period, it's when the Jews were also constantly getting taken over, right? So the Greeks who come, you know, Alexander the Great, they'll come, there are stories like they're coming into Jerusalem, all that stuff, taking over. Then after the Greeks uh, came the Romans, and Romans, they're terrible stories where these Roman emperors will come and they'll march into Jerusalem and, like, you know, um, I, forget, I forget his name. He'll come into Jerusalem and he will literally enter into the temple. You know, for the Jews, the temple, there's a holy of holies where no one could enter except the high priest. And there's a story where these Roman pagans who march into the temple, defiling the temple. Stories like that, inter, intertestamental period. A lot of, lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of just confusion, lost. And all that takes place, 400 years silence. And we finally get a hint of the gospel. As Mark pens it today, this is it, chapter 1. The beginning of the good news. It's finally here. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And how does it happen? How does it come? So what's Mark's Christmas? What do you see? Mark's advent starts in the desert. Mark's advent starts in the desert. For Mark, Christmas comes through the desert. For Mark, Christmas comes through the desert. It starts in the desert. It comes through the desert. See, Christmas is not, at least the painting of Mark, it's not you know, the story of all this stuff and stars and stuff. But what he thought it was significant after 400 years, how to start this gospel story is a man in the desert called John the Baptist. Okay? Talk about the desert a little bit. Um, we have a lot of desert theology throughout Scripture, right? Even the Old Testament, a lot of desert implications. Um, Moses, I mean, it seems like most of the uh, significant uh, prophets and whatnot, men and women of God, they had desert experiences, right? Moses went through the desert 40 years. You know, son of Pharaoh, then he gets kicked out, and, you know, he's just wandering and lost and pain and suffering in the desert. Jacob. You know, fighting with his brother Esau, runs away to the desert and just lost. The whole nation of Israel, right, for 40 years, wandering in the desert. Even Jesus, right, he's in, he's in the desert, he's fasting. It's so interesting that this desert kind of theology everywhere in Scripture. But one thing that we learn is that uh, in the desert and through the desert, that's where life comes. Scripturally, biblically, spiritually. When we're in the desert, when we're in the wilderness, when we're lost, when we're confused, that's when there's, a, there's actually, you're actually closer than you think. Because many, most of the time, spiritually, God uses your desert wilderness experience to launch life, newness, freshness, uh, to start something. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller said this, one, one of his quotes about desert. In general, you meet God in the desert. In the wilderness, in the desert, you can't stay alive without the intervention of God. All the wells go dry. All the bread go moldy. Out of the wilderness, God is not an add. Out in the wilderness, God is not an add-on. Apart from Him, the saving intervention of God, we are hopeless. We meet God in the desert. So true, right? Especially for the Christians. Uh, you know, those seasons when it is dry and desperate, that's when that extra need and the hunger and the desperation you, you, you sense. Right? God, I, man, I need you. I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm actually thirsty. I mean, if we're spiritual life, you're going to feel thirsty. I'm dry, Lord. It comes from the desert. But when we're in the desert, that's when God launches us. So desert theology throughout the scripture, and even here in the book of Mark today, we see Christmas actually this is the great event, Christmas, Jesus Christ coming, starts in the desert. Uh, which means, I don't know, just to apply this a little bit, I don't know, for, for me, uh, maybe one thing is perhaps uh, don't fear the desert. Don't fear the desert. Uh, don't fear when we feel we're going into a season of wilderness and desert or some people are lost. Maybe perhaps also another application could be when you're in the desert, you're actually perhaps closer to God than you think. 
Because if Christmas, a lot of these life things comes in and through the desert, when we're actually in the desert, perhaps the end is actually nearer than you think. I think there are a lot of truth in that. And especially this Christmas season. Again, I don't know how, how you guys are. We are, some of us, going through some challenges, difficulty. You're perhaps in the desert. 2016 was a desert. But the Lord is close. Lord is close. Okay, so that's number one. So Mark's Christmas it starts in the desert. Advent starts in the desert. Christmas comes through the desert. Number two, and Mark's representative for his Christmas, his Advent, is John the Baptizer. Okay, John the Baptist. I think we have some pictures. Do we, do we have that? Did, oh, all right, perfect. Okay, so I don't know what you guys thought of John. So I was kind of doing some research. I'm like, what are some classical paintings of John the Baptist? So I just found a few. You could just show. Like I said, this is just kind of how that generation felt, right? Who, who, how John looked like. No one knows. No one was alive. Though. But, okay, some of the classical paintings of John the Baptist. And uh, the last one is from the last, latest movie. For me, actually, this is closer. Like when I think of John the Baptist, I'm like, this is it. But okay, anyways. So John the Baptist. Um, so I don't know what, what comes to mind, but, uh, sorry, I'm getting lost here. Okay, so who, who's John the Baptist? Uh, John the Baptist, we see a uh, powerful figure because when we take the four Gospels and when we do comparison, the first two chapters of each Gospel, looking at the Christmas story, looking at the advent of every Gospel, um, only two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, have a very thorough Christmas narrative. The story of, you know, that we know of, you know, Mary and Joseph and the star and the three wise men and shepherds and angels, all that stuff. It's only in two of the Gospels. I don't know if you guys know, mainly. Um, Mark, once again, has nothing. This is it. Literally, this is it. Christmas story, Advent. Uh, and John has something like, you guys know John. In the beginning was the word, try to be all cool. You know, has some like very <laughs> high sophisticated theology. Uh, and John doesn't really have a narrative either, Christmas narrative. So which means, for m- m- most of us, um, when you think of Advent, when you think of Christmas, um, what comes to mind? Because I'm going to tell you, guess who is in all four of the Gospels? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in all four of the Gospels, meaning there must be something really significant of this figure that God is like telling us, don't miss John the Baptist in your Advent. When you're preparing for Christmas, when you're getting ready for me, Something about John the Baptist. You don't have to, you know, I'm not talking about just think about John the Baptist, worship him. But something about John the Baptist is significant. Because Christmas comes through him. Today, verse 2, we see Mark describing John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist as a messenger. Uh, Prophet Isaiah, also um, Malachi prophets uh, predicted his coming. Verse 3, 
talks about he was someone who was preparing the way for the Lord. During these times, the ancient these times, whenever a king or a significant leader would go through a country or go, go to a town or a city, they would always send a messenger ahead. And the messenger's job was just basically two things. One was preparing, right, preparance. So they would go ahead and they'll make sure the roads are okay. There's no hidden, you know, traps or danger. Uh, everything is ready for this great king to go through preparing details. And the second task was proclamation. Uh, before internet, you know, cell phones. <laughs> so the messenger will go ahead and as they're preparing, they'll tell the towns, king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. They'll proclaim. Two tasks. And basically, John the Baptist, that was his job. That's what he's doing. Right? Scripture says he was a messenger who was preparing the way, and he's proclaiming, king is coming. The king of kings is coming. Right? The savior of the world is coming. And he's proclaiming and preparing. That was the role of John the Baptist. A little bit more. Jesus actually talked about John the Baptist, and Jesus said what? Jesus said in Matthew 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I mean, powerful statement. Basically, Jesus is telling that John the Baptist was one of the greatest that ever lived. Greatest human beings that ever lived. I mean, for me, when I look at the life of John the Baptist, uh, verse that comes to mind is John, you know, John 3.30. I think he's, we were to kind of represent who John the Baptist was. I think his, his, who he was was, he's the one who said what? He must become greater. I must become less. He must have been an amazing guy, right? John the Baptist, greatest guy, lover of God. I mean. But yet his, his theology, his personal life statement basically was, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I'm just a pointer. He is coming. King is coming. Jesus is coming. I am not Jesus. I am not the Christ. Humility. I think that's what it was. Absolute humility. John the Baptist. And humility in the biblical sense, what's humility? What's being humble? Humility in biblical sense is uh, truly understanding really who you are. That's humility. It's not like lowering yourself more than you are or hiring yourself, but if you re- you're really getting who you are, who you are, who are you in light of God, right? When we catch that, then, then you're secure, you're, you're, you're humble because you're exactly who you are. And I think John the Baptist got it. All right, so this man comes, John the Baptist. So that's a representative person of this Advent season according to Mark. So what was his message? And we're going to kind of linger here a little bit, and we'll end today. So John, being in all four of the Gospels, um, and once again, being the representative person that many times we neglect, must have been an important person. Not only that, um, his message must have been important for us to be reminded. What was his message? Mark chapter, uh, today, verse 4, says, Baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 3 also talks about John's message as repent for the kingdom of God is here. Luke 3, 
writes about John the Baptist, preaching baptism of repentance. Simply, John the Baptist's message was repentance. His message was repentance. Perfect, right? Christmas season, repentance. What is this? But I think as we think about this Advent season, what's going to, I think, refresh us, I want to use that word, Right? Because I don't know about you, but Christmas, you know, you could get really fluffy and just gifts and busy and tired and uh, Jesus is coming, but why am I so restless and just, I can't settle down. I think what's going to bring the balance and, and almost refreshment to your soul uh, is this dimension of John the Baptist. I think he grounds us again. His message is repentance. So what's repentance? Quickly, okay, what's repentance? The Greek word used uh, through scripture is <coughs> metanomai, metanoma, and it literally means it's not emotionally feeling like sorrowful and guilty and that kind of stuff. It's not a literal meaning of repentance is changing the mind. It's changing of the mind, right? And to go further, changing of the mind so that we are literally turning around. That's what it is. Simply, that's what it is. It's not like this guilt-driven word or like, you know, ah. it's not, that's not what it is. When God asks for repentance, he's challenging us. You are thinking a certain way right now. You're, you're, you're thinking a certain way about the world. And that the way that you're thinking is not the way that you should be thinking because this is the truth. This is what's going to actually help you, right? Scripture, gospel, this is the way. But somehow something went out of whack, and that we call it sin. You, you think outside of this. You think this way. Because you're thinking this way, you're processing things this way, you're actually living this way. Just quick, just, I don't know, stupid example. Not stupid, but example. You, somehow you have like a loose thing about women or whatever, sex, sleeping around. And you're like, oh, just, you know, women are objects, whatever. You're sleeping around. The way you're thinking, just pleasure, just, you know, just, just nothing serious. Sex is whatever. Thinking, and you live that out because that's how you think. Because w- the way you think, you actually, you actually believe. So you live this way. Repentance basically is basically simply change the way you think. That's the word itself. That's what it is in the Greek. So you are thinking that, Whatever, women are objects and just pleasure, sex is just pleasure, all that stuff. Start thinking biblically. What does the truth say? What, actually, what is it actually? So we change the way that we think. Then that way that we think changes the way that we act. Because we begin to really grasp and co- be convicted of the truth. Thinking changes the action. So repentance basically is that I'm thinking this way, so I'm walking this way. But now I start, oh, okay, I start Literally 180 degrees. That's what's repentance. Simply, that's, that's what it is. Okay? I think the best way that this is kind of described is in Acts chapter 26, 20. I don't think we have this verse. <coughs> Paul, as he's on missions, he talks about repentance this way. First, Acts chapter 26, 20. First to those in Damascus, then those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, then to all the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God 
and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. I think that's a good, perfect theology of repentance. I preach repentance that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. If there's true repentance, true change of the mind, there will be deeds. There will be change in action. That you can't just keep on saying, I believe, I, I, but and, and keep on sleeping, continue to sleep around. No. True repentance is, yes, I'm convicted, God, your ways, I, you know, because of your gospel, you, we love you. Changing the way you think, biblically, scripturally, then that thought process now becomes part of who you are. Therefore, now you begin to live differently. That's repentance. I love the, the way David, King David, uh, after his sin with Bathsheba, uh, repents, right? Psalm 51, Psalm 51, uh, 10 to 12, the words that became famous by the great Keith Green, creating a clean heart. Um, I still love this song. I mean, this, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping that this service, you guys know, creating a clean heart. I still sing this song. When I'm in my desert and when I feel sinful and broken and lost and confused, this is my go-to song. This is my, this is my fight song. This is me, creating a clean up my fight song, right? Um, I sing creating a clean up, clean up by myself, and I get so restored. I'm just going to read for us David's repentance, David's words, creating a clean heart. Psalm 51.10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Um, powerful words. Um, really changing of the mind, looking towards God. There's contrition, there's desperateness, there's fear almost. Lord, don't leave me. I mean, we know how that feels. Like, honestly, sometimes we're in this, we're in this p- bad place, and we feel like God's going to leave us. This is David, and David's uttering those words, honestly, from the heart. I'm so far from you, God. I feel like you're going to leave me. Restore unto me, God. Restore unto me that joy again. Joy of your salvation. What is that? Salvation. That's foundational theology. That's like four base, you know, scripture, four laws of scripture. Very, very basic stuff. And David is to a point. Restore unto me the joy of that first moment I met you, Lord. I hunger for that. This is how David repents. So if John the Baptist, if his Christmas message is repentance, we need to think through, right? Give thought. Uh, repentance, you know, like once again, it's, for me at least, it's really grace. Even the, the, the fact that we can repent. Scripture says, your kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It's also display of God's grace that we have an opportunity every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. That we can come before God. And tell God, God created me a new heart today. God, restore unto me again the joy of salvation. 
I can really live with life as your people. I know there's a lot of crap, a lot of junk, all this stuff. You know what? You could, re- you could repent today and turn around, and that's it. God says, I will forgive you and forget your sin. And John is, John is bringing Christmas again. What, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's moving Christmas to a spiritual place. That's Mark's advent. John is reminding us Christmas is not only about lights and gifts and all the stuff, but he's taking that from that place and moving it back. Christmas is a spiritual thing. Christmas is once again about Jesus Christ coming and dying for your sins again. It's after that 400 years of desperate and desert and quietness and brokenness. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news is here. And John the Baptist is coming and preparing and proclaiming, King is coming. The King is coming. Who's going to take away the sins of the world. No matter where you are, no matter how lost or broken or tired or weary you are, the King is coming. He proclaimed, preparing. So repent. Repent. Turn around. Get ready for him. Receive him. That's the power of, I think, John's message. So Christmas, I think what John is doing once again is reminding us for the Christian that this is a, indeed a spiritual season. That this is a spiritual season. Okay? We're going we're gonna to just end. I'm just going to conclude here. This chapter, um, not only is the first gospel that's ever written, but the first verse, uh, the first word actually, first word in the original Greek uh, is the word beginning. The first word ever written in the Gospels is actually the word beginning. And what's, what, what, what are beginnings? It's a new start. It's a new start. And you know, our sermon series, Advent season, uh, sermon series, it's called A New Beginning. And that's exactly what the Advent is. If you take this, if you retake it in faith, and if you, if, you, if you make this yours, this Christmas can be a new beginning for you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God's saying, if you want to really make this a new beginning, this is a new beginning. Because I'm coming. I'm coming again. I'm coming for you. And ultimately, we are reminded that, yes, this is Advent, but... Uh, Christmas is coming. At the end of the day, it is about Jesus. The person of John and the message of John, remember, it doesn't end there just on repentance. But we repent, we get ready, we prepare, we refocus because Jesus is coming. It's ultimately about Christ. Not losing Jesus, the Christ in Christmas. We do all this, we get ready, prepare because of Jesus. And imagine if all of us, all the God's people, every member of New Mercy, we could reclaim Christmas, make Christmas really into ours. 
and live Christmas out the way that Christ meant for us to live. It will be powerful. So with that, I'm going to close. Can we just pray? If we could just bow our heads. <coughs> Let's just spend a moment in prayer. <coughs> Let's think through, really, where for us, where does John the Baptist, uh, his theology, his, 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 his words uh, uh, get, get placed in our uh, picture of Christmas, in our Advent, where is that spiritual dimension? Because I think, once again, this is, this is grace. It's not God wanting to hurt us or destroy us, make us feel bad or ruin Christmas. But this is God trying to ground us. Because Christmas comes really through the desert. Advent is starting in the desert. So let's ask the Lord, Lord, will you, uh, will you turn our hearts, God? Father, there are things really just so hard for me uh, to let go to change. But Lord, I am your servant here, Lord. We want to repent. We want to turn. We want to change. God, help us. God, help me. God, create a a desperate need for Jesus. God, when I look at myself, there's just so much things really out of my hands, out of my control, Father. I need a Savior. I need a Savior, Father. 